1989, there were sets of collector cards released to celebrate college basketball. Coca-Cola sponsored the cards, and there was a set for UNC and a set for NC State. Each card from the NC State collection featured a player from the Wolfpack's storied basketball history. There were the big names and stars from all across NC State's timeline, Lou Pasillo and Bucky Waters from the 1950s, Monty Tao and David Thompson from the 1970s, and a bevy of players from the 1983 National Championship team, including Thurl Bailey, Derek Wittenberg, and the only walk-on player coach Jim Valveno had on the team that year, Tommy DiNardo. One guy at work is kind of funny. He's a, he's a big state fan. That's Tommy DiNardo. Today he works at a Merck packaging facility in Wilson, North Carolina. He's Associate Director of Global Tech Operations there, and he manages the packaging of pharmaceutical products. And somehow he found some of those online, he bought them, and he started passing them out to people at work. And we had the VP of the company came in after I kind of gave him a tour of the part of the packaging area. This guy comes out and he said, I, I want to give you this card. And he looked at it and he said, I want your autograph. So I, I was embarrassed about this. I signed, I signed it and he took it. Donardo tells that story with the utmost humility. There's no pretense about him. In talking with him, you can tell he's simply thankful that he had a chance to play for the Wolfpack and be a part of that championship 35 years ago. I'm Chris Saunders, Associate Editor of NC State Magazine, and today on Hear the Howl, the story of Tommy Donardo, how he's a rare link between Everett Case and Jim Valvano, and the story of that memorable run the Wolfpack went on in March of 1983. Episode 8, Walk on Air. The story of Tommy DiNardo's walk-on wandering began in the backyard of his childhood home in Jamesville, North Carolina. It was there that his father, Phil DiNardo, a former captain on Everett Case's Wolfpack teams in the late 1950s that won three ACC championships, taught Tommy a love for the game and an appreciation for the relationships that basketball could help form and strengthen. It was funny, that, that town was a, predominantly a baseball community because we didn't really have a strong athletics program for youth. There was Little League Baseball, Junior League Baseball, but no Summer League basketball programs. Uh, so it was all more of an individual interest that I had. And my father kind of instilled that, that desire to want to play. And so we would, he set up a basketball goal for me in the backyard. And every evening when he'd come home, we'd go out and shoot. And he would rebound for me for hours. Uh, I used to think how boring that could be for him. But then as I got older and had my own son and he wanted to do the same thing, I realized how much enjoyment that was just, just sitting there rebounding. Those shooting sessions with his father gave Tommy a chance to hear about the legendary Coach Case and become enchanted by Wolfpack basketball. father was very close with Coach Case. You know, he was kind of a graduate assistant coach after he, he finished playing. Um, and Case looked after him a good bit and gave him a lot of fatherly advice. The stories Tommy heard served as a nice backdrop to what was happening as he grew up in the foreground of Wolfpack basketball. It was when Norm Sloan was building his great teams of the 70s. DiNardo remembers falling in love with the 73 team. How, when that Wolfpack team beat Maryland in the ACC championship, he knew he wanted to one day play in Reynolds Coliseum. He and his father went to as many Wolfpack games as they could, some young Tommy had to stay home for. But even those are memorable. I remember one, he went to one game and I wasn't able to go and it was 
when David Thompson was on the JV team. And I remember him coming back and saying, son, I think I've seen just one of the best basketball players I've ever seen in my life. Make no mistake, Tommy DiNardo's hero is his father, Phil. Basketball has clearly been a powerful link between father and son, but it's not the only one. Tommy grew up watching his father work at a paper mill, watching him design and install equipment as a project engineer. From the time I was a very young child, he was my idol, and he still is my idol. I used to remember hearing stories about going to state, playing basketball, getting into mechanical engineering, and I always dreamed of following in his footsteps. So that's what DiNardo did, but not before a stop at Lewisburg College. He spent two years there, played basketball, and in that time he met another basketball player who would become his roommate, best friend, and linked to a place on the Wolfpack's basketball team after both transferred to NC State. My college roommate at Lewisburg, who also was my college roommate and at State, Quentin Leonard, actually was on the team that first year that we transferred. So I got a chance to kind of get to know some of the players on the team. Leonard was playing his first year at State. DiNardo was not. And he was processing it all, basically putting to bed any notion of playing college ball ever again. It was disappointing, but I think by the time I, I'd gotten there, realistic nature of it set in that I... I knew I was kind of at, at my point that I probably wasn't going to be seeing a college game again from a, from a player's perspective. And I you know, focused on the second part of my dream, you know, getting a degree in engineering. And it was hard watching one of my best friends playing with North Carolina State, the same spot that I would have loved to have been in myself. So DiNardo watched from the stands, plotted along in his coursework, figuring out the best way to attack an engineering problem, not his own defense. Did that for a year until... In the fall of 82, after school started, uh, Quentin told me they, were, they did have one spot on the team that was open and they were going to have walk-on tryouts. DiNardo debated. Didn't think he would have much of a shot, but eventually he figured out he would never know unless he took a chance and tried out. Tryouts lasted about a week and there were around 50 guys or so there in Carmichael Gym vying for just one spot. And of course, one larger-than-life guy, Jim Valvano. He came into the workouts, you know, talking to the, the players, the guys that were all trying out. So he was motivating all of us to want to get on the team. So I think, you know, that's one of the aspects of Coach V that just amazed me. I've never played for such a great motivator as he was. End of the week rolled around. It was the end of the last workout, and assistant coach Ed McLean approached. He had one thing to ask DiNardo. What's your shoe size? And it's like all of a sudden it hit me. And I can't even remember what I said to him after that, but it was like that realization that I had actually, you know, my dream had come true finally hit me. And so it was that in the 1982-83 season, Tommy DiNardo found out that sometimes dreams don't just fade. Instead, they grow into a reality that far surpasses the boundaries that a young Jamesville boy shooting basketball in his backyard had first imagined. When Tommy DiNardo meets us in Reynolds Coliseum to shoot him for the NC State Magazine piece we're doing on him in the fall issue, he's self-deprecating. Just as striking as his tall, lean frame is his smile. He seemingly always wears it. It's a kind, earnest one. And he never misses an opportunity to joke about himself. Mark Hall, the university photographer, is shooting him, sitting in a chair on the sideline and coaxing him to be a bit more relaxed. DiNardo says, I practiced this for two years. You would think I have the position down. DiNardo says that magical 1983 season was pretty much one he saw from the bench. It was a fun view, though, 
had his regular front row buddies, Walt Dinsmore, Mike Warren, and his longtime pal, Quentin Leonard. But the action DiNardo took part in on the floor was in practice. A lot of action by his own estimate, mostly because of his assignment. Not only was it a good player, but it was someone who would become an NC State icon on the night of April 4th, 1983. So much so that a picture of him hangs on the wall in the Alumni Association's main boardroom on the third floor of Park Alumni Center. My focus was trying to do as good a job as I could in practice, trying to make the other players better. So I had the unenviable position of guarding Lorenzo Charles a lot of times in practice. have a lot of uh, scars around my eyes from elbows that, that paid for that. That was an interesting experience in itself. Lowe was just a very dynamic player, very strong, uh, very quick for his size, too. DiNardo can talk about numerous magical moments from that season. A lot of great wins for the Cardiac Pack and the NCAAs. Don't worry, we'll get to that in a minute. There's the ACC Tourney 81-78 win over Ralph Sampson's Virginia team in Atlanta. That one was especially personal for DiNardo and his father. There have been four ACC tournaments with a DiNardo on the NC State basketball team. The DiNardos have four ACC titles to show for that. But it's not a postseason game that DiNardo locates as the turning point and the start of the Wolfpack's momentum that year. Instead, it's a game in early March that got them to the postseason that stands out, a 70-63 win over the Tar Heels. The one I would pinpoint is when UNC came to Reynolds. It was a couple weeks left in the season. We didn't really have any signature wins up to that point, and we knew we were kind of on not even on the bubble at that point, so we really need to make a statement. And that was one of the most exciting games I think I've ever been a part of. The crowd was into it, and even down to the last play, which was one of my most favorite plays I've ever seen in my life, with Sidney on the breakaway, you know, passing it between his legs to Thurl, dunking over Sam Perkins, just a great climax to a, a fantastic game. So I think that was the turning point for us, that we realized, hey, we can play with these powerhouse teams. And it gave us confidence, I think, moving forward. The Final Four game with Georgia is another one that's kind of unassuming. The Wolfpack won 67-60. First game was probably the most challenging for, for, from that aspect because we weren't playing you know, a powerhouse team like some of the other ones we had played already in Georgia. We came out and played well, but then there was that lull that happened during the game, and we allowed them to get back into it. So he was he was probably as fiery as I've, I've seen him during that period of the time in the game. Uh, but that was probably his, the most challenging aspect, getting through the semifinal game. And then it was all downhill from that, right? Not really, especially when DiNardo first laid eyes on the Wolfpack's Monday night opponent, the Houston Cougars, a team that had gone 16-0 in the Southwest Conference under head coach Guy Lewis and had lost only twice all season. The other thing that struck me a lot was watching Houston. And I was just amazed at the talent that team had. Uh, Elijah Wan and Drexler, you know, two future NBA Hall of Famers, but they also had a, a strong supporting cast around them, Benny Anders, Larry Michaud. They, so they were an extremely talented group. But the interesting thing was that it never felt like to myself or I don't think any of my teammates that it was a lost cause, that we were – we were not even going to be able to stay with him. I don't beat around the bush much with DiNardo. I get right to the moment that took a 52-52 game and would be pending overtime contest to a 54-52 win for the Wolfpack. Seconds left and Derek Wittenberg throws up, well, something. Some say a shot, some say a pass. 
I asked DiNardo if the mechanical engineer in him was calculating angles and efficiency and knew there on the sidelines that the ball dancing through the air had no shot of going in. It, it was obvious it was going to be a little short. I think that trap that Houston threw on us at those last in that last minute surprised us. So we unfortunately didn't really get ourselves set up for a very good shot. Fortunately, Derek grabbed the ball because it was almost a steal, which would have been catastrophic. And, you know, he had, did the only thing he really could do. He just threw a desperation shot up there. I was just thinking, oh, we're going to overtime. And it was like out of the blue, here comes Lowe, you know, grabbing it. The interesting thing was Elijah one was kind of standing right there just watching. And, you know, Lowe went up, grabbed it, put it through, just all in one smooth motion. And, and, it, and we were just all in shock. You know, for a split second, it was like, did that really happen? <laughs> and then it just, we all erupted. That was even a question for the hero, Lorenzo Charles. It looked like he was still thinking through that. What just happened? I think it was all just instinct that kicked in for him to go up, grab the ball, and put it through. But when he landed, the look on his face wasn't quite, he hadn't quite gotten to that big grin of his and, and the joy that you would see. It was all, it, initially, it was just, just a look of, now, did I really just do that? Yes, Charles did do that. Doing that, doing the unexpected, was all the Wolfpack did in 1983, night after night, on its way to the program's second national championship in basketball. Donardo loves thinking about his team doing that at the team's reunions, which have become more frequent over the years. And the team even got to reflect on doing that in the White House with President Barack Obama in 2016, which yielded a special souvenir for Donardo. I have to admit, I took a couple of the presidential uh, paper towels out of the bathroom with the little seal on them. I just had to have one of those. The entire team never got to go back in 1983, and Thurl Bailey worked some connections to make the visit happen 33 years later. Even then, the Wolf Pack was still a couple short. Lorenzo Charles died in a bus accident on Interstate 40 in 2011, and Quentin Leonard had passed away in 2006, but someone got to make the trip in his place. When... President Obama came in and went around to shake everybody's hand. And when he shook my hand, it was just, you know, I, I, words can't describe. You know, I've, I've never had that feeling before. My former roommate, Quentin, his uh, son was able to go on this, and he's called Quentin. He was 14 at the time. He was standing on the back row beside me when, when President Obama came in. And as I shook his hand, I said, Mr. Obama, this is uh, one of our teammates' sons, um, and I introduced him, and he stopped and actually talked with him for a few minutes. You know, he was very interested, you know, you know what was his name, what, what did he like to do? So he was just very personal to him, and I think that really meant a lot to, to Little Q. If you look for Tommy DiNardo in the official photo for the 1983 National Championship team, you won't find him. Don't worry, he didn't disappear from the pick. He wasn't erased like Marty McFly's family in Back to the Future. There was no time continuum mishap at play. It was simple logistics, or irony one. The photo of the team for that year, I'm not in it. People will ask me, well, where, where are you at? And I to tell them that they actually had the team photo taken even before the walk-on tryouts occurred. So I asked somebody to Photoshop me in there, but it never worked out. Donardo was, in fact, there. He was there for every grueling practice against Lorenzo Charles, whom he remembers affectionately as Lowe. DiNardo was there for the wins against UNC and UVA that season. 
And being in those special places at those special games has led him to now permanently being there alongside a legend. Remember the VP at Merck who came into the Wilson facility, found out who DiNardo was and wanted his autograph? And later he texted me a picture. He had, he, he's, he had a man cave of his, of his own with uh, a Julius Irving jersey. And he had stuck my card in the corner of that frame photo. And it was like, I was just humbled by that. Because you know, Dr. J was one of the players that I've followed growing up. You know, he just amazed me. But for him to do that, it really was touching. Thanks for listening to Hear the Howl today. Morgan Holcomb is the most outstanding player of this whole operation, and she gets an assist today from the improbable NC State team from 1983, without whom this story doesn't happen. And these stories in each podcast wouldn't be possible without the magazine's managing editor reading them and editing them for me. So thanks to Sylvia Adcock. I want to send a special thanks out to Tommy DiNardo. A print version of Tommy's story appears in the fall issue of NC State Magazine. The issue just dropped and should be in mailboxes any day. And if you don't expect one coming, please join the NC State Alumni Association to make sure you receive NC State Magazine four times a year. There's also a feature story that you might like if you like DiNardo's. Our senior associate editor, Bill Kruger, and myself spent about six months the latter part of 2017 interviewing around 60 current and former Wolfpack athletes to find out the stories behind their jersey numbers. Why did they choose the digits that they did? So look for the answer to that question in the fall issue as well. One final note. I first interviewed Tommy DiNardo for this story in late July, and we've gone back and forth in emails about various things since then. But as I was finalizing this story for the podcast, I got an email from him. He'd written to tell me that his father, Phil DiNardo, died on October 18th. He'd been battling cancer for the last couple of years. Tommy signed off in his email with, I am who I am because of him. This story is dedicated to the memory of Phil DiNardo. Join us next time on Hear the Howl.